The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What does it say about the interconnectivity of life that dolphins should save a swimmer from an oncoming shark? Well, we are about to have an answer to that question and much more with today's guest on NDE Radio. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is Ann Archer Butcher, an award-winning producer and writer, wife, mother, and businesswoman who speaks at such international gatherings as the recent IANS conference in San Antonio, Texas. Anne has led a life which thus far has made many numerous amazing connections with the other side, events some would call miraculous, but which, if it it could be argued, are natural to any person touched by grace and open to the divine. Perhaps most dramatically, in her 20s, Anne was swept out to sea and rescued from a shark attack by dolphins. Other experiences have included channeling ideas from ancient Greek philosophers and an into-the-light visit to the other side. The story of her ordeals, adventures, and profound experiences are contained in her new book, Inner Guidance, Our Divine Birthright. Anne, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. Nice to hear your voice again. Yes, good to hear yours. Anne, it it seems Grace has followed you during much of your life, and I wonder if you could begin by uh, telling our listeners about your adventure with the dolphins. I sure would. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the word grace because um, the title of my book is Inner Guidance, Our Divine Birthright, but I had originally wanted to title it Living in a State of Grace. That really, to me, is what it's all about, but we receive that grace. We can stand in that grace when we tune into our inner guidance, and this is what happened for me with the dolphins. Um, I was teaching high school at the time. I was a high school English teacher teaching English and philosophy, and I had really begun to wonder about um, the, the truth in life, and I had begun to ask, dear God, teach me truth so that I may teach truth, because here I was in my early 20s, and my high school students were 17 and 18 years old, and they're asking me, what do you believe? And I don't really know, but what I began to feel in the in my heart of hearts was that there was an interconnectedness between all life and I really wanted to believe that was true and I began to ask for the truth of that reality and um, I, it was Christmas and I went on vacation um, from school to the island where my mother lived off the coast of South Carolina and um, it was Christmas Day, and it was warm, you know, like 80-something degrees. And even though the water was chilly, it didn't matter to me. This had been a relatively warm winter, and I'm a strong swimmer, so I wanted to get in the water and just pose my question and swim, kind of as a spiritual exercise, Lee. And um, I went in the water in a private area where we had friends, and I had parked right at the beach, and... Um, There were people picking up shells and things because it was Christmas Day all over the beach, but there was no, um, there was no lifeguard. But I went in anyway and I swam as far and hard as I could, just, you know, venting my, um, curiosity to the universe and to God as I was swimming. And suddenly I realized that I was moving really fast, much faster than I might normally. And I turned back to look at the shore. 
And I realized I was in a riptide. I was actually being pulled by the current. So every stroke I took, I was pulled out even further. And and I knew I was in trouble. Um, not only getting back, even though I was a strong swimmer, and I knew how to get out of a riptide swimming laterally. But as I looked to my right, I remembered, hey, where are the shrimp boats? You know, and on the island, you're never supposed to go out where the shrimp boats are because sharks come to, you know, pick up the leftovers. And um, then I looked to my left, seeing which way am I going to swim, and suddenly I saw a shark coming right at me. There were no shrimp boats because it was Christmas Day, but there were hungry sharks. And um, I thought, oh, my God, my mother's going to hate this headline. I can see it now. Daughter eaten on Christmas Day. And <laughs> this, is, this is not what I wanted to have happen for me or my family. And, um, and so I asked inwardly of God to simply lift me up into the heavens, somehow just make me disappear. And um, of course, that didn't happen. But what happened instead was that I heard clear inner guidance. Now, by nature, I'm a fighter. So I was already thinking, can I poke him in the nose? Do I, you know, kick at him or will he eat my leg? What do you do to fight a shark? I have no idea. And instead, I was told to turn away from the shark to lie down on my stomach, face down in the water, to bob like a log on the surface, don't even look at the shark, turn away, be as calm as I could. And the next thing I knew, I did it, because this is no time to question your inner guidance, and I was hit underneath really hard. But instead of being pulled down and thrashed about by the shark, I discovered that I was lifted up. I was lifted right up into the air, and I was moving fast as anything toward the beach and I had no idea what was happening and then as I began to slip off my uh, precarious perch on top of whatever I was on flying through the air um, I saw a dolphin rise in front of me and I was hit again underneath and I realized dolphins were taking turns coming up from underneath me lifting me straight in the air and I had been guided to turn and lie down face down so that I would be a platform for them. And mm. I was rescued by them. They took me into waist-deep water. They did this brilliant e-e-e-e-e thing around me. They didn't just leave me. They could have left me. But, you know, I had posed that question, is there an interconnectedness between all life? And they were answering it. They were truly answering it. And they swam around and touched my body and did this beautiful circular EE and then this wonderful choreographed dance around me. And finally they left. And I was just astounded. Here I faced a riptide, a shark, being rescued by dolphins, this magnificent dance. None of it expected in any way. I'd never heard of anything like that happening on this island and neither had anybody that I knew. And yet people all over the beach were clapping. And, and as I came out of the water, this one woman said, oh, my gosh, do you work with the dolphins? And I said, no, no, not at all. <laughs> and uh, I said they rescued me from the riptide because I had already changed my story. I didn't want to believe that that was really a shark. It was too frightening for me. And an old man stepped forward and he said, those dolphins saved your life. There was a shark coming right at you. He was about to eat you. And I thought, yep, you're right. And I acknowledged mm. the old man and said, you're right, you're right. And um, and I said, I know they saved my life, first from the riptide and secondly from the shark. And 
But when I left that beach that day, I was a completely changed person. I knew I had been touched by grace, and I knew that guidance had actually saved my life. And that that shark was so close to me, he could have had me in a nanosecond. So turning away, lying face down, allowed those dolphins just to pick me straight up in the air and move me so fast toward the beach while the rest of them surrounded the rescuer. And it was just, it was just something that I found hard to integrate, but I knew my life would never be the same. Wow. That's an amazing story. Did you, had you at any point before that had, uh, uh, any kind of experience like that? Nope. I had not. I had not had. So that was a, that was a really a breakthrough moment for you. It was. It was. It was a spiritual breakthrough. Now, I admit that from the time that I was little, um, I was a very spiritual person. Um, my mother thought it was kind of strange because, you know, the family, they were Southern Baptists, but I was far more um, religious or devoted spiritually than anybody in the family. From the time that I was a little kid, three years old, I, I remember my mother saying, she thought there was something strange about me. You know, she said she talks about God a lot, and we don't talk about God a lot. Where is she getting that? And um, we lived out in the country, and I would walk to the nearby farmers and ask if anybody knew how to talk with God. I said, I've forgotten something very important, and I need to talk to God so that I can remember. And, um, you know, they tried to teach me prayers like the Lord's Prayer, and I said, I know all those. I'm not looking for that. I want to actually talk with God. And, um, you know, that that was the beginning of the inner guidance, I would say, Lee. But it was that profound breakthrough moment with the dolphins where I knew um, I am being heard. I am being responded to. There's so much more going on in life than we could ever imagine. And it isn't just me. It's all of us. This is an interconnectedness with the divine and all life. And um, that gave me a greater respect for everyone and all life and our, um, our the beauty of our connection, our divine connection that really will guide us in every moment, not just in the big and amazing things, but in the day-to-day experiences of life. Now, you were a school teacher at the point that the dolphins saved you. Had uh, Was yeah. it after this event that you're, uh, you began to channel uh, phrases from ancient philosophers yeah this had this was also a part of that exact same period lee but yes that mark that was the hallmark moment that marked mm. the shift i had already it, been asking dear god teach me truth and that is what started the channeling in the, the classroom yeah maybe you could tell the listeners uh, about that experience in your life well, that was amazing because I was teaching at a um, you know a conservative high school in um, in Indiana. And um, one day I put my chalk on the board to write a quote by, you know, Emerson or Thoreau and, and that I knew by heart. And I'm trying to keep my eyes on the kids at the same time. So I'm looking at them and writing on the board. And all of a sudden I realized that my hand is taken off and the chalk and my hand are just scribbling away something completely and totally different than what I intended to write. And I was teaching American literature at the time. And um, my hand wrote something that was definitely not American literature, and I had no idea what it was. We didn't have computers. We couldn't look it up. And um, so after this happened, 
class after class after class. I would find myself going to the board. All I had to do was pick up the chalk and walk toward the board. And the minute my my, um, chalk would hit that board, my hand would start writing things. And I gathered those up and sent them to a research librarian at Indiana University to say, can you find these quotes? Because they were not signed. I find that so profoundly interesting that truth was not signed. I was asking for truth. It was coming through, but it wasn't signed. But yes, when they used the computers, they found the quotes. Here they were, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And I was like, what on earth is happening here? But my high school students were very astute. They knew something special was going on because they said that when that was happening, they suddenly would become quickened. They said the hair was standing up on their arms. They suddenly felt smarter, brighter, more aware. And when they would leave the classroom, what would happen was if they went to take a math test instead of being the normal B that they might get, they suddenly were getting A's. And they realized they're smarter than they were before And it's by being in the presence of whatever was pouring into that classroom, not me, but that flow of divine spirit. And so that went on not just for a few weeks or a couple of days. That went on for years. It went on for years, Lee. And the quotes were, they continued to be from ancient philosophers and all kinds of cool stuff came in. And then there came this period where the quotes were there, but the research librarians couldn't find them. And then a substitute teacher came in one day, and he left me a book. After he, um, after, When I came back the next day, I found it on my desk, and he said, I think you'll find the underlying passages in this book very interesting. And he had highlighted the things that I had written on the board the day before, and they were found in a book called Ekankar, Key to Secret Worlds. And at this point, I realized, oh, my gosh, there's so much more going on in life than I could ever have imagined because whoever heard of a path called Ekankar? Whoever heard of, of this name or these concepts? But my near-death Did experience you... was in that <laughs> book, so I knew there was reality there. When you uh, were writing uh, from Plato and Socrates, did it seem to be a, a theme? I mean, were the, because the there was there was plenty of material on a, lot, a variety of subjects from from those philosophers. Was there something yes. to do with a connection with the other side involved in those passages? Yes, there was. Now, what the students discovered was that they could actually pose a question. You know, like stand outside the classroom before they would come in and not tell me they were doing that. Pose a question mm-hmm. of the universe, and they would come in, and that question would be answered. So they recognize there's an immediate response going on here as if everything we're doing is being overheard inwardly on the other side. And and it's an immediate visceral response that's happening. It was taking their breath away. My classroom became like um, close encounters. Kids were begging to be in the classroom. So instead of 30 kids, you know, there's 40 kids, there's 50 kids. And um, it it was a very exciting time. And everything that we were learning was exactly as you're saying, Lee. It was tidbits and tips and insights um, of the inner world, but it also was a um, direct response to what was happening in the outer, in the moment. And you could see that moment to moment we are being answered, we are being guided, moment to moment, um, so, not just so, in a so, lifetime, but every second. 
So there's a collective wisdom out there, not necessarily the individual Plato, who is sending uh, uh, contemporary messages, but in yes. their language, in their old language. Hmm. Yes. Now, now I think uh, finally, the, I, go I ahead. I think it came to ancients because I was teaching literature and philosophy, and I was it was trying to guide me now, to a deeper world view. So that was. You know, that was also what was going on for me. Right. Now, eventually, the school uh, shut you down, basically. <laughs> they wanted to. They wanted to shut me down. They called me in and um, told me they really liked me. I'm standing in front of the school board. They're saying, we'd like to offer you a new contract. I thought, great. I, they must be thinking I'm doing a fabulous job because most people don't get to be invited standing in front of the school board. But then it hit. Then they said but you must stop all the extracurricular work that's going on in your classroom. We want you to stick with the curriculum. And I looked at them, and I so I loved my job so much. I loved that school. I wanted to say, okay, I'll do whatever you want. Um, but my mouth now had a life of its own, Lee, and it said, oh, I wish I could say yes. I wish that I could do what you're asking, but if you understood what you were asking me, you would never ask it of me. I said, there are teachers here who are giving 30% of themselves or less, and I'm giving a 1,000%, more than I ever knew that I had available to give, I am giving, and you're asking me to give less. If you understood, you wouldn't ask that, but if you don't want it, I'm sure someone else will. And I said, so I'll give you time to think about that, and I walked out on them. And so I had essentially said, well, if they're going to fire me, I've just quit. And I went home and I cried because I loved my job so much. But it didn't take long, and I got a call from the principal, and he said, what is it you want, Anne? And I, inwardly, I was told, don't say, I just want my job. Inwardly, ask, what are my options? And I thought, wonder what that's about. So I said, well, Mr. Cobb, what are my options? And he said, he said you can have anything you want. And I said, what happened between I think I'm fired and I can have anything I want? And he said, the school board sons president's son just won national merit scholar and when asked in an interview um how he had gone from being a relatively average student to being extraordinary he said um, my english teacher but his he had won this award in science and they said how how did that correlate and he said fortunately he didn't say he was quickened <laughs> he said <laughs> um he said she taught me how to learn and um, and so that was incredible. They didn't understand what it was. They didn't know what was going on in the classroom, but they gave me as one of those options lifetime tenure in the state of Indiana and agreed to protect me so that I wouldn't be asked to change my teaching style any longer. So then wow. I had an open door, and I was able to continue. Nice. Now, was it after that that uh, you, this black hole appeared when you were sitting with your friend one day? Yeah, it was. this is the beginning of my first near-death experience, and it's an extraordinary one in that um, I wasn't sick and I wasn't dying, but I had the exact same experience that others have when they go into the light. Um, and I wasn't under, as many people say, oh, well, that's just the effect of being under the influence of drugs or stress or an accident or trauma of the brain. It was none of those. I was about to go to my master's degree class, and I was sitting with my boyfriend um, having a snack and tea before I went to class after teaching during the day. Now I go to class at night, 
and um, and I suddenly saw a black hole in in the middle of the living room. And um, I said to my boyfriend, do you see that or is there something wrong with my eyes? And he goes, what is it? And I said, it's a, a little black dot hanging right there in the middle of the living room over there near the stereo. And he goes, I don't see anything. And all of a sudden I said, oh, my gosh, I'm being pulled through it. And I told him to hold on to me, hold on to me. I thought that would keep me from being sucked into that black hole because it was like a vacuum cleaner pulling me. And then I felt the disassociation with my physical body. And I felt the freedom of just flying out of my own physical body as soul, as a spiritual being. And I went through that black hole. The black hole, that tunnel, was very difficult for me. It was dark and it was freezing cold was the effect that I had. And yet I saw at the end a tiny pinpoint of brilliant light, and I knew that that light represented warmth, and so I wanted to get to the light, and I flew as fast as I could um, in this brilliant soul body that I was in and went into the light. And when I arrived in the light, I found myself standing in an ocean of love. It actually announced, this is the ocean of love, and a voice Still the air, there was this melodic, beautiful music, and I saw ocean waves of golden light coming toward me. Huge. They're going to crash on me. But when they crashed, instead of knocking me about like the ocean would, the waves went right through me. And as they went through me, they filled me with a peace and sense of love and harmony and purpose and joy that I had never felt in this life at all. And I thought, wow, I just want to stay here forever. But, of course, it wasn't meant to be. I wasn't meant to stay there forever. And I was told that there were ten things that I must remember and that I must go back. And I begged not to have to go back, Lee. At that point, I didn't understand that the true purpose of our being here is to be vehicles of love and to serve all life. And so I thought, well, this is nirvana. This is what we all want. This is this is the heavenly world that we all this is bliss and love and joy and forgiveness and calm beyond anything anybody could ever imagine. And why would I want to go back? I don't want to go back. And I was told that someone near to me appeared to be dying. And I thought, but if this is death, what do I care? I'm not going back. I don't want to go back. This is beautiful. And um, and I was told, you know, basically I would have no choice. I have to go back. But in the 10 things that I had to remember, one of those was that this person who appears to be dying um, is not really dying and that I could intervene and that, in fact, there is no death. There is only life and that it is the great illusion. And I was amazed. You know, one of the big fears in life is the fear of death, the fear of this unknown. And all of that in a nanosecond was completely, absolutely changed forever for me. I not only heard the words, but I knew the truth of it. It entered into me. And as I continued to listen, I was told what I would have to do, that I would have to go to this person, and that there was much to be done, not just this, and I must return and then back through the black hole, freezing cold, and I find myself sitting on the um, the couch. But while I had been in the inner world, one thing had happened that was 
absolutely um, astounding to me. I had looked up into the sky, and I saw this glorious waterfall of this brilliant golden light coming over a precipice that was so huge and so high and so brilliantly bright that it was almost blinding. And I was actually told while I was gazing at it and squinting like crazy to close my physical eyes, the eyes of the person sitting on the couch, and I did that. I closed my eyes, and it was sort of as if on the inner I had put on sunglasses, and now I could actually look at the light. And it, it in itself was transformative. But as I came back and I'm in my body, sitting there with my boyfriend, I'm shaking all over because I've had such an amazing experience. And I open my eyes and I look at him and he goes, what has happened? And he said, oh, my God, look at your face. And I said, what's wrong with my face? And he took me by the arm and led me to the closest mirror and had me look at my face. And my eyes were sunburned. And I realized I actually went somewhere, that consciousness is huge, and there is no separation between the inner worlds of God and and our conscious experience right now in our physical bodies, and that we are not our physical bodies, that we are these great, brilliant spiritual beings inhabiting a physical body, just like we get in our car and we drive around. The body is serving us, but it is not who we are. Neither is the mind or the emotions. We are so much more than that. And um, and and so I knew I had my proof. It was the uh, it was the sunburned eyes that told me. You know, this wasn't just some lapse of consciousness or crazy thing that had happened to me. I'd really gone somewhere. But the second proof was in the fact that the next day I did hear that someone near to me appeared to be dying, and it was my sister. She was in New York, and she was a world-class mathematician working on Wall Street, and um, and I heard she was in a coma. My mother said, can you come? And I said, of course, and my boyfriend got me on a plane right away, and off I went, and when I arrived in New York, um, she was actually in a New Jersey side hospital really a beautiful facility and uh, with a young surgeon and he came in and I asked him, if I told you that I could see inside my sister's head, would you believe me? And he said, yes. And I said, why would you? And he said, I've seen this sort of thing before. I've heard of it. And right now, you know more than anybody on this planet. This is before EMRs. Um, this was before you could have a CAT scan, not EMRs, um, or whatever that test MRIs. That you do. Yes, that's it. And and they <laughs> had none of those tests to do. They couldn't they, they couldn't use an MRI. They couldn't use a CAT scan. They didn't know why she was in a coma. And I said, Well, I can see a busted balloon in her head. I don't know what that means, but I know exactly where it is. And he said, Well, I know what that is. That's an aneurysm. And um and so <clears throat> he drew a picture of a brain. I pinpointed the balloon, he operated, and he saved my sister's life. So that was the second aspect of the proof. And as a near-death experience, I now understand, Lee, that it's called a shared near-death, where she's actually the one dying, but I went into the inner world for her, gained what wisdom needed to be gained to help her, and came back and followed the instructions. And my, my sister's life changed profoundly, too, from that experience. Oh, I imagine. So did she have any memory of uh, of the other side from um, going through that experience? None whatsoever. 
Um, she was mm. extraordinarily near death in a coma, and all she knew was that her head was just exploding. That's what she felt, and that mm -hmm. the only peace she had was when I entered the room. She said the headache lifted completely um, when I put my hand on her head, and she opened her eyes and came out of the coma momentarily and spoke to me, and um, she had no awareness of what was going on, but afterwards, what was very interesting was that her personality had changed. She had gone into the inner world, and now she was a much more loving and tolerant and kind person. Previously, she was a world-class mathematician. She was mental. She was always, you know, right on the edge of everything, and she was a tense person and very demanding. And suddenly, she was so tender-hearted when she came back from this experience that if she heard... Um, if she heard a siren like um, someone was in trouble somewhere and you can hear the siren like the ambulance going to rescue them, Debbie would tear up and she oh. would say, oh, and I hope that I'm right. <laughs> yes, please. We are, we are just about out of time. And before we, uh, oh, before we end, I want uh, our listeners to find out more about um, how they can get your book and where they'll learn more about your life experiences. Well, it's available on Amazon, both as a book and as an ebook, and it's Inner Guidance, Our Divine Birthright. I also have a website you can go to, which is innerguidancebook.org, and um, I, I hope people enjoy it. It's full of a lot of extraordinary experiences, but they're not about me. They're about all of us. Uh, it's just the journey that uh, of discovery that I went through, but really... It's well, about all of our stories. Lee, I know you've had some really great ones, too. <laughs> oh, thanks, Anne, so much for sharing your story with us. Um, if the listeners would like to listen to this show again or any of our other previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, check that website out at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.